All right, welcome to another podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with uh, Calvin. Hey, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I just want to start this out. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's why we went to this movie by ourselves, because tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, we went and saw The Humans, uh, and in just a sweet little, like, art house theater in downtown Denver. It was awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's the C Film Center. It's like they show a lot of art house stuff. I guess but maybe like, that's what I mean is it's yeah. not like a, an AMC at least. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When they, uh, <laughs> when they checked you in, they're like, oh yeah, what's like, you, we don't need to scan you. What's your name? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're one of four people in this movie. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, okay, yeah. I think I just need my first name. They're like, okay, you're good. Just walk right in. Yeah. The other people are already here. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. It was us and two other people went and saw this movie. Uh, I was surprised I think, there was someone else. Yeah. I think this definitely makes it into uh, your your holiday season classics, right? I oh. mean, nothing like a, a really uh, kind of trippy family horror drama, you know? That's, oh yeah, at parts uh, <laughs> yeah. lifting and crushingly depressing. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> I, I, I knew that this was not going to be like just a, a fun like kind of family, you know, experience uh, from the trailer, but I didn't think it was going to go as far as it did. But uh, I think we're going to try and like do non-spoilers first, so... Uh, but what's your first impression of this film? I mean, what a what a wonderful, dark, intimate look into like the loneliness of of individuals surrounded by their closest family members. It's it's amazing to see that. You know, we 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 a lot of times we focus on the on the family dynamics, but we get so many sh- so many shots and so many times where these characters are alone and in cl- cl- like deep pain. But they don't. They don't show it. They'll wipe away their tears whenever someone else comes by, um, and I think that's really the point of this film: is how we're all present but so disconnected. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I I love the family drama and everything, so I was excited to see this just based on the trailer. I was like, okay, you know, anytime you get like a couple good actors together, uh, and Amy Schumer, I guess, um, it's yeah. probably gonna go well. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I. She's not my favorite comedian by any means. She was much better in this than I expected. Yeah. So that would be a, definitely a big part of my first impression was way better than I was uh, than I was thinking. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, like I said, I think this movie went further than I was expecting it to. So when it gets to the end, I was like, really? I mean, it took a minute. We like sat there and watched the credits for a minute. And I was like, okay, uh, this movie needs to digest a little bit for sure. Uh, but yeah, I do really like what you said about like the isolation. There are like little bits where it's like the whole family together and then sometimes you'll have scenes where they split off and they're kind of in their own world dealing with something and that's kind of what i really liked about it is like you said you can all be together but at the same time it's like everyone seemed to have like their own like internal struggle and yeah it's definitely like a it's gripping i think it can get a little long in some parts because you're kind of seeing like sort of the same kind of family moments play out again and again and again. And I think for some people it could get tiring. But for me, I was like, I was pretty much into this from start to finish and it has an amazing ending. So any kind of maybe lulls are totally earned because the ending is awesome. So yeah. And I've seen much, much slower movies than this. So those movies, those, those, uh, those points that you talk about as being like maybe uh, like lulls or a re- or really slow, um, I don't feel them as much because they're still really engaging and really interesting. Um, and each one is treated differently. They're, it's not the same shot. Um, it's not the same dynamic each time that we really settle down and look at someone. So um, I can... 
I have a poor sense still for like, like with my art house aesthetic of being able to tell whether someone like this is a digestible movie or not. To me, it was like, it's so engrossing. Like I, it flew by. I don't know how long that was. Two hours, four hours. I hour, don't know. Hour and 48 minutes. Okay. So it's, yeah. It's not an insane runtime. Yeah. But it feels like to me, it felt like Shawshank. Um, in, in the way that it just grips you and never lets go. And before you know it, an hour and a half has flown by. I kind of like that comparison because I talked about that as being like a slice of life. Actually, that recording hasn't come out yet. Oh, yeah, that's... No, we have a recording, but... Yeah, well, upcoming Shawshank little, Redemption. Yeah, a little uh, shout out to our upcoming episode. Yeah, I, I describe that as kind of like slice of life, but in a prison. This is absolutely slice of life. It's a family at Thanksgiving dinner. And it's literally a slice, whereas whereas Shawshank Redemption is a narrative with a clear beginning and ending of of this character arc, this redemption arc of uh, of this the the single individual. Whereas here, we don't know who these characters are. We don't know their di- their dynamic is just insinuated. It's never right. told or explained. There is no exposition at any point, and which I love. I love movies like that because we don't need to know anything about these characters we need to know how they're acting towards each other that's the heart of this film right um this was uh written and directed by stephen Karam. he also wrote the um it's like a one-act play that this is based off of and it's like a tony award-winning you know broadway play i mean it's so and this is his directorial debut like for film that's just and that's just crazy. Like I saw that 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 this was a play, and a lot of times these intimate things can be can be turned into really good films. It is so interesting that a stage director, stage writer, made this film because he understands camera language. Like he knows the heart of his of his original work, but knows how to adapt it to this medium, and it's it uh it, it transcends the original piece. Um, in terms of uh, what that was into how how it actually lives as a film. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this is... I, I don't know. We, we're still just kind of giving, like, first impressions. This was an excellent movie. I don't know if we've said that yet. <laughs> it, I mean, we're trying to be spoiler-free and everything. This was really good. And so for this to be someone's, like, uh, like debut feature-length film, like, it's excellent. Yeah, and, and, and for I not love being the like cinematography a... and everything in it. it and, like... The performances he gets out of this cast is awesome. Like, this is a great movie. I think totally worth watching. Yeah. And for not, like, being, like, a film guy, because it feels like that's kind of the... That's what I made the assumption of. But it's interesting, yeah, like, when you say, like, the ensemble cast, this is not the kind of cast I would have thought of for this type of movie, for this type of subject. Right. You told me about uh, Beanie Feldstein. Feldstein, yeah. who is Jonah Hill's sister? Who yeah, I did not have any clue about. <laughs> yeah, she was in Booksmart, which is which was um, marketed as the female version of, um, well, oh, super bad. Oh yeah, super bad. Me, yeah. yeah, and part of that is because she's Jonah Hill's little sister. Right, right. Um, but that's a weird movie. It's really like three movies at once. But she's funny in it. Like that. There's a lot of really good. Uh, like she's uh, she's also in um, what we do in the shadows. Like in the first season. Like she's just a comedian actor so it's it's weird that you have both amy schumer and beanie feldstein in a very intimate personal drama yeah and uh june squibb is in that she's in that movie nebraska she's been in a lot of stuff she plays like the grandma in this momo uh she's not really a big role in this i think she's she matters to the family itself but doesn't really matter to the film itself i think is, Uh, is kind of how i'd describe it i i have an interesting interpretation of um of perspective uh, at the end, um, 
we'll talk because we're going to try and keep this, this spoiler free as much as we can right now. I, I don't think she matters much to the plot or the, the narrative. It has everything to do with um, how she's kind of a set piece that everyone works around. Right, right. Um, and then Richard Jenkins is in this. Uh, I always think of him as uh, the dad and uh, stepbrothers. And I know it's like, and he's playing, the, he's, he's playing a dad in this one. Totally different characters, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> uh, Jane Howdyshell. Uh, but she plays Deirdre Blake, who is the wife and like the mother of the the two daughters, uh, played by Amy Schumer, Amy Schumer and uh, Beanie Feldstein. And then uh, Stephen Ewan is in this. He plays uh, Beanie Feldstein's, or uh, Bridget is the daughter's name. He plays uh, the boyfriend. Yeah. And he's in, uh, you know, everyone knows him as Glenn in Walking Dead. Yeah. And the only one I really don't understand, I don't really recognize is uh, the lady who plays Deirdre. Yeah, but she was great in it. Yeah, absolutely. She has some really emotional scenes. And yeah, this movie like really got me. You know me, I love the family drama. It really hit me, so. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, kind of just the basic plot. Uh, it's it's just a family who's gathered together in the uh, uh, Bridget's apartment. So they've just moved to New York. Yeah, Bridget and Rich have just moved to New York um, in a very rundown uh Like apartment. nasty apartment, yeah. Yeah, the light bulbs are going out. Like there's like, you can see water behind uh, the paint and the wallpaper. Um, when the father, Eric, he's like going around, he's like, you got all these gaps in here. You got to caulk. Yeah, you got to caulk. <laughs> like he says it multiple times. Like that's the reason, that's that's the problem with the house. <laughs> he's checking like fuse boxes. He's like, oh, you live in a flood zone. You know, he's, he's very concerned. Yeah, it know? was like a 4A. You know, I can't remember what he said. You live in a, like a, cl- a zone A, like flood zone. Yeah. Like they're, they're on like what feels like the 13th floor or something. Like, like that really matters. Yeah. But they're like a family from like small Scranton. They're going to New York to visit their daughter. Uh, their other daughter played by Amy Schumer, who is also named Amy. Uh, she's out there too. And then they're there with their grandmother, Momo, who is, uh, uh, I'm assuming it's some kind of dementia. She, yeah, she's barely, she's not really conscious. Yeah. And so she's in a wheelchair, but they're all there to have, you know, Thanksgiving dinner together. And then like we said, just family drama ensues where there's like, it seems like there's periods where everyone's getting along and then like a snide remark like really kind of will set everyone off or you'll have like periods of time where things are going like really bad and then all of a sudden it'll be like kind of a quick, you know, kiss and make up and everything's fine. But then it's like mm-hmm. intercut with like little scenes where, you know, one of them will be kind of hidden away, kind of, you know, like you said, like maybe like trying to hide their emotions in the corner or, you know, uh, like you'll be in the bathroom kind of hid away to like not like really let everyone, the whole family know what's going on. And so it's, it's it's a it's like a wider drama with just like small little set pieces in between where like everyone's going through their own thing, you know? Yeah, there's so many things where so many times where these characters are just not saying the thing that needs to be said. They're holding on. They'll either tell like one character, they'll tell it at a bad time, or they'll just hold it in. And you can just see all of the loneliness and the pain, despite how how close everyone seems. No one's actually close enough to say the things that matter. So we mentioned already that you know there's like all these like little bits of kind of nastiness going on but then steven ewan's character richard is kind of just the one guy who's like he's very cool and collected throughout this whole thing he's the only one who doesn't really seem to like have a problem with anyone he's not causing any problems he's kind of diffusing a lot of them and i think he's i mean if you take anything away from this movie it's like he's great in it and he's like the kind of person you should strive to be at a stressful family dinner (laughs) yeah exactly he never like uh there there's a point where um he's being criticized for his belief system and he doesn't even take it personally he uh 
actually takes that time to defend uh, Bridget and talk about how how much she's been struggling and how great she's doing. And it was re- it was just so interesting. Like he had so little ego. He wanted to fix everything, make sure everyone's comfortable, and he always knew like the right thing to say. Like he shared like the the proper amount. Like you know, this is who I am. I have like you know some uh, some baggage, and I have these weird dreams, which is just great. How he was just like, yeah, I don't care. Like yeah, like the. Uh, um, Wow, what was he talks about? A, he had a dream that he fell into an ice cream cone made of grass. Yeah, and came out as baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he tells that story like three times, and, it's, and it's just like he has no shame about it. It's amazing, and it's amazing like to see. And I, I, I love him like as a juxtaposition to everybody else, where we see all of these these times where they don't want to share something, where they're holding on to what Amy says at one point is their stoic sadness. Yes, and he's just like, yeah, this is who I am, and it's weird, and I don't care, and look at how much you all like me. I think that's like the most important part of this film is being your true and authentic self and not being ashamed by it is is really freeing. Yeah, no, I think that yeah, he, there's a I think you can go into this movie and definitely like you can pick up little parts of like I mean, we've all had a family dinner where you're like, "Oh, maybe I've been the one to make that snide remark or maybe I've been the one to, you know, push my sibling too far or maybe I say something offhand to like my mother or whatever." We've all been like that person. And so to like watch this movie, like I was definitely like grabbing those things. But then it's also nice to have someone like like Richard's character to be like, okay, well, like, but I also have been the person to be like the diffuser or to be like helpful in the kitchen or, you know, like to make little sacrifices like, oh, bringing all the champagne cups up himself and he's dropping them on the way up the stairs. He just does a lot of like cool little things. And so it's nice to have like this movie would be even harder to get through if like every character is just kind of struggling against each other. And so I have one person to kind of like kind of kind of be able to latch onto and is like the one bright point doesn't necessarily change the tone of the movie but it's nice to have like that one thing to kind of cling on to you know yeah and it's also not like it's it's forced on you like this is all from Richard's uh Rich's perspective he's the one that uh that we really like he's the one that's really good like it's we don't ever focus on his reactions the way we do everybody else's so we don't really get the sense that this is his movie or that this is your experience as rich it's a lot of other things, and he's just kind of uh, um, the mediator for all of these. An outsider, right. mediator to this family that's been around. Like, and at, at some points, Deirdre is explaining like their family dynamic with some of their um, their like the aunt and uh, like um, how long they've been working at, uh, at her job. So you can tell that this is a fairly new relationship between Rich and Bridget, but the way that rich acts you wouldn't think that because he's just so warm and loving with everyone you talk about whose perspective is this from i i will have a section on that in a little bit i'll tell you the one character it's not from it's it's not from richard's perspective i don't think at all yeah i, I and then like momo because she's not really like like you said like more of a set piece for what all the other characters are doing but i think that's interesting is probably the character i like the most is the one who the movie is not about at all and i thought that for a while because a, lo- a lot of times it is uh movies like this are, are usually from the the perspective of whoever's in the middle from the mediator and so i thought that this was really going to be about rich or at least the way he sees this family dynamic but it, it doesn't end up being that way um which i i don't know how i feel about that because i i i think it's good you know because it, you don't really focus you don't like overly love him then and you don't over and you don't like overly hate everybody else it's just a really balanced treatment of this family it would be really tough to watch this movie from his perspective because it'd just be a lot of people acting awful around him all the time 
And, so and so you'd really be like, oh, I feel for this guy. You get out of there, man, like red flags everywhere. But the fact that you're not really following just him, you're following other people who are also acting catty towards each other. So it's, and like I said, I, I think this is like a, it maybe has a lot of sequences that a lot of little like vignettes I like to think of. It's like, oh, this is how the family is acting now. And then they do another thing that's like, oh, that's how families act. And and maybe that happens once or twice in a dinner. This is a dinner full of like 12 things happening. Mm. So maybe it's a lot of little plot points that keep taking place over and over again. And that's why I think this movie can get a little tired where you're like, okay, I get it. They're a family that like is nice sometimes and mean other times. Yeah. And that would be tough to go through if it's just uh, Richard experiencing all of them being mean all the time. It, it's funny that you say that. Like it's like it would be really hard to take this all as Rich's perspective i've been rich yeah i've I've been rich for i was rich for a few years (laughs) we were talking about that on the drive back and i was like "Ooh, this is fascinating because i'm usually the one that loves the family drama and you're like oh man like this family drama really got me and i was like okay like let's hear it yeah very excited (laughs) i've i've lived that dynamic a lot um so this movie was not comfortable to watch for me for that reason. I'm glad that we treated Rich the way we did because I didn't want to necessarily step into his shoes again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't need to be that character. Um, but right. yeah, but yeah. So that's this, and you you talk about how like there are like these moments that anybody can really latch onto. There were just a lot that um, that uh, were were very similar parallels in my own life, and so I can I can. This movie did not drag for me for those reasons either is because I was like, oh, that's, I've been in that situation and that one too. Yeah. Oh, and that one too. I feel like you like squirming in your seat like this is oddly specific. Like, <laughs> yeah, a little too specific. Yeah. So. All right. So I want to move into the sound now. Um, I was a little disappointed with the way this one started because it has a really, really cool like opening music. Well, I don't think it. you were disappointed. No. Okay. I was very excited when I heard it. And then I was disappointed that the rest of the movie has virtually no score. Yeah, that that opening was amazing. Uh, it's all of these shots. You're in you're in an alley, looking up at the sky, and uh, so your your view of the sky is bracketed by uh, the the tops of all of these buildings, and they're very geometrical. They're symmetrical in some areas and very oblong and uh, kind of. Um, uh, uh, abstract and other ones and they just keep like the, it's just someone staring up with a camera and uh spinning around very slowly so you get this sense of like looking up looking through i, I mean tunnels are a thing later in the film right. so i think this is really interesting to think of when you go into this movie thinking of these shots as being tunnels um because you get you, it messes with your perspective of what's up and down even for sure and there's so many shots of those and this the score is just wonderful i mean if you liked the beginning of um our uh our episode it's very similar in tone and mode yeah but then my disappointment came when there's no music throughout <laughs> literally but but i will say it ends up working out really well because this movie really wasn't what I was expecting it to be. It changes a lot from what I think. I mean, I think if you watch the trailer, you're going to get kind of a misconception of what this movie is actually about. I think it moves much further past what the trailer makes it out to be. Yeah. Cause the trailer kind of feels like almost like a heartwarming melodrama. Um, especially given the, uh, the season that is coming out on, uh, coming out in, um, but it's a 24, um, there's like a sense that I can get from trailers. This didn't this didn't surprise me in the way um, decided to shoot everything. What surprised me is how well it pulled everything off and how how slow some of these shots are, how long they are, and how they played with perspective. Like this really wasn't about 
it really wasn't about the narrative as much or about these characters as much in terms of how they uh, acted, but a lot about how the camera actually moves uh, and what we're ac- what's actually framed. Right. So, yeah, to finish up the sound, I think the, the only other thing I have a problem with is there's a little too many kind of jump scare sounds, you know? There's a lot of thudding and thumping that kind of seems to come out of nowhere, and it 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 ends up making more sense with the narrative as it moves along. But when it first started showing up, I was like, okay, like I don't I don't know why you're trying to jump scare me in this sort of like what seems to be kind of like a uh, like you said like maybe maybe a heartwarming take on a family with like still some dramatic nuance to it. Yeah, and so I was kind of w- wondering why that was happening. But as far as the sound goes, I th- I think it totally worked not having a score to it. I I was I was. I was bummed for a little bit, and then I was like, okay, this totally makes sense. It's totally working. Because I think I've talked before about how you can have a really big score that is a part of the scene, and it really enhances it. Or you can have a scene where you're supposed to feel isolated and alone, and if you have a score there, then you have something to cling on to. So you're not isolated. You're not alone. And so many scenes in this movie are about feeling alone, even when you're around the people you're supposed to be closest with. And so if you have a score to cling on to, it ruins that. So not having a score... Initially was a no go for me. Totally worked out in this film in the end, though. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been. It would have been. Uh, it really would have been a melodrama, despite all of the superb camera work. It would. It would have been kind of cheesy. Right. So let's move on to spoilers because I want to get into some more camera work stuff, but I think it's like going to spoil it if we do. So I want to move on. Just say we're spoiling now. So I think this movie is a horror movie. And I think all like the a lot of the camera work and like I, I talked about the thuds and the, the this jump scare sounds how I didn't think it worked at first, and that it slowly makes more sense is because I I do I this is filmed like a, a little quick edit of this movie with some some more like uh, like uh, the little stinger sounds in it you know more 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 creepy maybe just a hint that there's like a, a spiritual like uh, uh, paranormal entity and it this movie instantly becomes a horror film that's what I think and I think a lot of the camera work and like. We talk uh, as the movie goes on, like lights are going out. Um, the family kind of needs to move closer and closer to the light. Uh, towards the beginning, there was like just little things, like a scarf falls off the wall, and it almost looks like there was like a like it was like a ghost, something standing under it. And well, it just falls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's a good good point because yeah, when I saw it, I was like, well, what was that hanging on? Right, there was absolutely nothing that it could have been hung on. And then uh, Momo is in her wheelchair, and she just slowly starts to like roll backwards, like on what looks like even ground or uh, there's a bathroom door with a mirror on it that just keeps slowly opening. And I was like, this was early in the movie. I was like, there's a lot of like horror elements to this. And then the way the movie ends, like kind of really ramps that up and lends to that where all the lights are out. Uh, The, the father character, he's like stumbling around like in the dark, he's got a lantern and he's like, ends up kind of having a little panic attack. It seems towards the end. And there's, there's more we'll get into there, but I'm just saying as far as the look goes, like I thought, I thought elaborating on the look too much would actually spoil it because I do think there's a lot of elements in how it's filmed kind of really lend towards like the really kind of dark turn it takes like literally and figuratively. Yeah. And all of that is kind of foreshadowed, um, at the beginning with, uh, with rich, um, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not with rich, but with Eric, like he, he gets scared multiple times and the sounds just kind of come out of nowhere. And because we're, we're focused on all of this quiet this quiet ambience of the of the apartment all of the creaking and then suddenly a bird flies up or um uh they're in the kitchen he's talking with rich and someone like knocks on the door opens up the door and he like drops his coke yeah exactly just like that's on time kind of like jump scare sounds but like 
they all make sense in the in the film and they are all seem to be circling around eric yeah right specifically there's only one other time uh that it would ha- that happened to someone else is when uh deirdre closed uh the door and uh bridget came out of the bathroom and it's like what are you doing snooping you snooper and right like, right yeah but that was the only other time. Every all of the other times, the the jump scares are happening primarily to Rick. So you have those close ups, and you also have it's it's unsettling, um, but it also lends to this idea of little uh, of vignettes, um, how we shoot things through doorways and through frames and around um, uh, other building elements of the apartment. Like we're looking at them or like something is watching them. So you have, it, it works in two ways. It's the unsettling nature of what, of how you would think of like something being of stalking something to your point of it being a horror, but also like just a, a fly on the wall type of slice of life thing. It's really working two different ways and it's hard to tell what direction the film is going to take because it's not telling you um, through music what how this movie is supposed to be uh, interpreted. Right, right, right. That's why I think like, yeah, just a quick little horror score in this and it's like, oh, okay, I know exactly what this movie's about and because it doesn't have that, it like, that's that's part of like the intrigue to this movie. It's, like I said, I, I mentioned maybe it could drag for some people I know this is not a general audience movie, uh, but if a really lazy director who just wanted to make a quick buck could have just added a creepy score to this and that, that, that trailer goes out and everyone's like, oh, do, do you just, even the, I think even the title kind of lends itself to even being like creepy horror movie, like the humans, like, it, like, what does it mean? Like, are they human? Are they not? Like, there, there are elements of that that I, that I think kind of like fit that kind of like that horror feel to it. Yeah. But I do, you were talking about like, uh, the the way it's filmed, I, I want to talk about just some kind of, besides just kind of the film through like doorways and hallways, there's other like interesting stuff. There's a really good like rotating shot of the whole family. Mm. And uh, it's when they're all kind of having this, uh, like a family tradition together where they, they break this, uh, uh, what is it? A, this little pig. It's like a, not spearmint. What am I thinking of? Peppermint. It's like a peppermint pig. They whack it with a hammer mm-hmm. after they say something that they are thankful for. And that shot is totally different than a lot of the other shots in the film because it is, it's, it's, it's having the whole family like together when they're actually sharing something, they're actually being honest with each other for once. And when they do that, the film technique totally changes. It's not like them isolated. It's not just like shots where you can only see a couple of them at a time. It's the camera rotating around all of them as they're sharing with each other. Yeah. And it's funny because like you have that in terms of form, um, this, this type of, uh, camera, uh, shot but then in terms of content when they do say something thankful they aggressively take this little hammer and smash a pig <laughs> yeah. it's in direct contrast of of what seems to be the spirit of the tradition yeah like rich is the first one to go and he said and he talks about how thankful he is to have a new family and he just lightly taps and everyone like like gives him crap about it yeah like, oh come on you got it and they're like you know and then other people go and like this is you know you there you're everything that that matters and they just smash that pig. yeah and it feels like what's going on this is really creepy and unsettling like are you actually thankful are you like just saying these things but you really feel something else entirely you're just not saying it i think it's really kind of indicative of the whole film itself and every character it's like they are they do care and they do love each other but then they're just so nasty to each other and have these really like backhanded comments Mm -hmm. all the time and so it is i think it really kind of explains kind of the dynamic of the family where they they will they will say something very sweet and very kind and then then in the next scene 
they'll talk about like oh well, you're gonna die of heart disease because you're eating too much like yeah exactly or yeah you might have uh you, you might probably you probably don't have an appetite because you ate a whole tub of ranch dressing or yeah, like before yeah. dinner that's uh, all rigid lines that we don't like yeah exactly. <laughs> she's not like the sweetest person no ever. she seems like bubbly and fun and then she out of nowhere out of left field pulls the nastiest comments yeah that they're just like no one's even bothering her at that point anymore she just has so much resentment and hatred towards her or like she just has so much not hatred but like she doesn't feel like where she's at she feels like where she's at in her life now is because of her family and they're not helping her or seeing her anymore and to the idea and theme of being seen my favorite shot in the entire film um is this one where Deirdre is the mother is the only person that's really in the frame. She's centered in the frame, sitting at the table and other people are talking and going in and out of the frame. But, uh, she, uh, talks about her career, about her job. She's been there 40 years. Um, and how upset she is. She's like, yeah, my, my, my salary doesn't reflect my, uh, the contributions, uh, to she's the company. Like, she's like, they got some new guys coming in because they have a fancy degree. They make five times as much. And yeah. And it's kind of like just dismissed. Like, like she, you can tell she's in pain. She's upset about where she is in life and nobody cares. It's like yeah. kind of like, it's just weaving together in this whole, this family tapestry of, uh, of their dynamic and all of the information that, uh, that is being exchanged at this table, but she is in clear pain and we sit on her for a good two three minutes. Um, we see only from her perspective. Um, uh, she kind of gets over it at one point, but you can tell that there's still just so much sadness because no one sees that she is so upset to that, that nobody cares about how much work she puts in, um, in her job. Well, and even uh, she goes on past that and she talks about how she's volunteering, I think, with like a, like immigrant families and uh, they're like, oh, St. Deirdre. And they like, they're like snide about it. And like, she's doing this good thing and she's going on kind of about them and with the work she's doing. And, and again, that's when uh, Richard comes in. He's like, I think it's good that you're volunteering. Like, again, he's just like that presence in the room. He, he comes in and out of these scenes. But he's like the guy who's always there to be like, you know, what? like, you know, that is a good thing. Like, or, you know, he, there's like tension in the room and like he's diffusing it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Or like it it's like he's this he's this voice of like I I see you and everyone else kind of like no one wants to step on Richard's toes because or Rich's toes because they all like him. So when Rich says something it's 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 this idea of like oh well Rich said it I guess there might be some truth to it. And which is very different in the way they all treat each other. All right, I want to move on and talk about Amy Schumer's character Amy. And uh, another really good scene that she's in, we were talking about close-ups earlier, and uh, she has one where she's in the bathroom and you can see the reflection of her phone in her in her glasses. And without like really even saying anything, I mean, you can tell like, I thought it was built up enough that it meant that there was some kind of relationship like she was into, whether it be like, uh, just like maybe like Tinder date that she was like trying to get back to, or maybe it was like a, a long-term thing, or maybe it was an ex or something. I thought just having like that scene like let me know that there was someone else outside of her family that she was concerned about and like and she was using her colitis as like an excuse right. to go to the bathroom so that she could and then she got up there and she was just you could see the reflection and you could see her scrolling yeah and then you you find out later um that it's like an ex and she's like oh well I thought like I could call you and I thought holidays weren't off limits and you can tell like you know she's still like kind of like in pain from that relationship being over and she's not like quite ready to move on and like completely lose contact and i thought just those little scenes of her with her phone like let you know that there was some 
there was some relationship that she was a part of that she cared about. And like we, like I said, you don't need the exposition to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Another good scene I think that is a good way of like fleshing it out without a ton of exposition is Deirdre is talking about an email that she forwarded to uh, Amy about uh, a lesbian, uh, a student or something in the area, the Scran area who had killed herself. Yeah, I think it was like someone that they went to high school with. Or yeah, something like that. I think you might be right. Um, and Amy says back, she's like, you don't have to like tell me about every lesbian that kills themselves. Well, I think that or was actually he, Bridget. Bridget was like, you don't have to you don't have to email her every time that a, a lesbian kills happens. themselves. And just with that, like you already know that Amy's character is lesbian. Like there wasn't a there wasn't a big thing like, oh, so like, how's your girlfriend? Or like, oh, so now that you've come out, like how's being a lesbian? Like there was yeah. no big or, thing to do that. Yeah. And or where's your girlfriend? Or like, why are you single? Like, why, why didn't you bring anyone? You know, like those very, those very over obvious, it just sets up the the scene for melodrama. You don't really understand. Uh, you, you seem, you, you care more about that one point rather than who they are as a character. Right. And I think that's one thing this movie does really well is when families are together, because we're jumping into seeing a family that has been a family forever they don't talk to each other in a way that they need to explain things to an audience. That's not how I talk to my family. That's not how you talk to your family. Um, so why would characters talk that way? But that happens in movies all the time. Yeah. Like and they need to case, explain everything to each other. Yeah. And in this case, Deirdre even uh, mentions to Rich uh, a couple things like, oh, yeah, Rich, um, my uh, she was talking about her aunt. Like she's got a what was it? Cancer or something. She's taking to her to her. Opponent. Yeah. Ovarian cancer. Yeah. And she's got, she's taking her to uh, her appointments. Well, actually, that was someone else. But she's talking about her aunt. But she keeps telling Richard. And she's like, oh, yeah, Richard, I've been working at this office for 40 years. And so you, right from there, you can tell that this is either the first time she met Richard or this is a very new relationship between Rich and um, and Bridget. And that's all we need to know from right there. Like, not like, oh, how long have you been together? Setting up plot points, it's it doesn't matter how long they've been together. You get a sense of how long it is, and you still get this very real, authentic family experience. Which is, I think, is like really well done by Stephen Karam, who has never directed a movie before. And the fact that you can get all this information without just expository dialogue, like mm-hmm. you can just understand where these characters are at, like what stage they're at in their life, what you know. Uh, even like financial situations they're in. Like there's, there's all these like things that get told throughout the film that are, are doled out in a way that like all makes sense. And it's, it's, it's feels like a family talking to each other. It doesn't feel like, okay, we need to say this so that the audience knows. And I think that's great. It's really masterful work that I think it, it doesn't get done very often. And no. you just, and you just, you're like, okay, now I have to sit through the, the exposition now. And this movie has none of that, which I think is wonderful. Wonderful. So now that we've established the characters more, uh, let's figure out whose perspective is this from. We've decided it's not Richard. Um, so what is your thoughts on, uh, do you think it's from like the father's point of view? Yeah, so I have a couple a couple theories about like the house as being a metaphor um, for a few things. Uh, but I think this whole thing is is either from Eric's perspective or it's from Momo's perspective. And I, I think they're, they're similar in, you can think of the idea of the lights going off as being a metaphor for uh, dementia, um, losing, you know, l- losing track of who you are inside of your own mind right. and, and poking around. Like you have a sense of where things are, but she even says it in her letter to the, her email to the girls. Um, 
Yeah, what did what did she say? I think I yeah. I find it strange not knowing the person I am anymore. Right. And I think that that's what's happening with all of the lights going off. It is everything is either the memory of of her family, and they're just pieces moving around in her mind as everything within her mind crumbles. You know, the water leaking, the noises, all of these. Uh, elements of the of the structure of oh, the they, nasty mattress outside their apartment yeah that was weird too i don't, I don't even know i don't know how to explain that that was that was weird i think they just thought that steven ewan's a fun actor they wanted to have him do a little thing that's what i think that is yeah i love how he didn't really want to touch it yeah. and like he just kept kicking it. like we needed it somewhere else than where it was yeah but only slightly further away yeah it was very strange but i get that like the apartment's ratty like it's like you said, like crumbling the same way like her mind is. I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah. So it's either everyone is either uh, a memory uh, for Momo, or it's Rich. Uh, I mean Eric, the the father, going through the same thing. That's why he's always looking off and getting scared, and because he's he's his mind is slowly fading and crumbling, and he's losing track to, track of of who he is and what's present. I um yeah, I have a different take than that. I think it's. I think it's a movie that is from everyone's perspective. It just is at different times because I think there's definitely parts where it's about Amy and it's like there's a whole scene where she steps outside like I talked about where she has the conversation with her ex-girlfriend. I mean, that's that's like her small part of the story. Um, Bridget has kind of a freak out and like she runs to the top of the building. Like that part of the movie is to me, that's her perspective. Um, Deirdre... I think it's it's just before the desserts come out. She's just at like the table crying, and you know, like there's maybe about be a big bomb that gets dropped on the family, and like that that part is to me that's that's her like prepping for this like big news that's gonna come, and then of course there's all the stuff with Eric, and I think I think there is certainly hints that maybe he's like going through dementia or like the early stages of it too. Yeah, because Momo is his mother, right? So I I think that all those make sense. I like your ideas. You're more like like metaphorical in your interpretation of who the perspective is from. And I think, I think it just is, I think it's, it's just a bunch of small stories that all, it seems it's weird. It's kind of amorphous. It's like, sometimes it's about all of them and sometimes it's about one of them. Yeah. And I kind of think of, so the way the film ends with him just down in the, the lower level and just with his little, uh, nightlight, uh, lantern. And then, um, Bridget comes in in the top floor and it's a split like uh, this is clearly a set now. We're not just in an apartment like a real apartment. Everything is a set and you can see the bisecting floor and you can see both doors, the the first and the second. And she comes in briefly and then and then leaves. And then he is he's uh, seems intimidated about leaving after finding out like everyone's waiting for them in the car. Um, And I feel like a lot of this is like that shot right there is just is the is what everything is going on like it's a metaphorical uh, a metaphorical shot of what everyone is experiencing that there is an entire floor of darkness that keeps them sectioned off from each other even when they're all sitting around the same table i think that's what that that shot is it really is about everybody but this is like this is like what happens when uh, you sequester yourself off from everybody. You're talking about that shot being a set. I just think like the whole apartment in general is just to give you that sense of like uh, the loss of connection because it mm. feels like there's some people who are upstairs and there's just kind of like that one spiral staircase to get up and down yeah. or you have to go all the way outside the apartment and back in. But I think of that too. It's just like just the way the apartment is set up is supposed to give you that sense of isolation. Like, yeah. 
or we only like like we hear things that we're not supposed to because the walls are so thin. Oh my gosh, yeah, there's so many sad scenes that take place because they overhear, which is so true. I mean, that's how people I don't care if you love your sibling or your mom more than anyone. You still have something mean to say about them and if they're not around, sometimes you let it go and they overhear it and that happens a lot in this movie and that that to me that's a part of what makes a good family drama is if it feels real. You know, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a couple of, like heartbreaking scenes with that. Especially there's one about Deirdre and her emails, which gets brought up a lot throughout the movie. And yeah, uh, it's like it's really sad. There's a lot of really, there's a lot of un- emotional unpacking you have to do after this one. I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's like the the moments that you find yourself in, um, and it's also thinking about what each one of these characters is feeling because they're feeling something completely different and they're all they all have all so much baggage that they can't they can't take the time to unpack someone else's and that's why they're so lonely is because nobody takes the time other than rich who's unpacked all of his baggage yeah uh to help them with theirs so do you want to talk about what i think you could maybe describe as the climax of the movie is eric telling his daughters that he lost his job working at, he. I think he works at like a Catholic school. Yeah. He violated the morality clause because he slept with a teacher and cheated on his wife. He's lost his pension. They had to sell the um, the, the lake house that they have, mm-hmm. which gets brought up a couple times in the film and the, he has no savings and all this. And that's kind of what ends up to like, kind of the crumbling, like everyone leaving the apartment and leaving Eric by himself. Like, do you, I mean, I think like that's the climax of the movie. I think the movie needed something like that. If it's just little bits and pieces and stories of people at a dinner. This movie is not as compelling. That's why I think it, it it ramps up to like a really good ending. I would love to say that it doesn't need that, but thinking about like some of my favorite films that are a little bit more like, like even something like uh, um, 1966's Persona by Ingmar Bergman is, it's very similar in the way that it, it suddenly builds. Um, same thing with Ari Aster, same thing with uh, Robert Eggers. They all build to something and i think that even like in a lot of ways we're not they're not exposition they're not necessarily narrative um in in the point of the film that in a way that this one isn't like the the point of this is not really the narrative but i do think that the this this lift really does it does help and i think it drives home the point of uh of the separation because then you just have like um this man of God going through the his own personal hell of sins and uh, everything that he had been worried about, about losing everyone. And what he kept talking about was, you know, everything is the point. Everyone here is this, you know, this is what, what uh, it's all about and the only thing that matters. And he spends part of his speech trying to not apologize for it but to move past it and just he just because he doesn't want to lose everybody he doesn't want to face the consequences of what he's done and i and that's what happens he ends up briefly just falling apart because everyone is leaving him because he has uh, i mean really sinned in a in a deep and uh almost unforgivable way yeah i think this i think this movie needs the punch at the end and the really the biggest reason I think it needs it is we had talked about like, oh, like I kind of really want to go back and rewatch this because now that gives, now that we know that like that's the struggle that Deirdre and Eric have been going through this whole dinner, mm-hmm. what weight does that give it to the lines they've said throughout the movie? Like how does that change like the context of it? And so I think that if it doesn't end that way, then I'm not going to say this isn't rewatchable, 
But I'm saying like now I'm like more intrigued to go back and be like, oh, like that line means something different to me now. Yeah, especially when he keeps talking about the lake house property. Exactly. All of that is very different now. And you can you can you can almost start to think that all of these uh these jump scares that Eric has are really him not they're they're him being afraid of like not wanting to tell anybody about his sin but knowing that he has to so he is on edge the whole time and that's also like the horror element is uh everyone might leave me and everyone might hate me and i have to sit with this all dinner long right i yeah i like that a lot and i that kind of makes me lean more towards it being from his perspective Mm -hmm. I, i mean i think if if I had to choose, I still think it's a uh, like a conglomerate. I still think it's it's still a movie about each character, but it's probably more focused on his story. Uh, but I do think that again, I think there are parts where it is it is about Amy or it is about Bridget and stuff like that. So, I think it, the only one that really breaks it for me is Amy going out in the hall. I think Bridget um, never really has one of those things. Like she, there's at one point she's sitting upstairs by herself crying, but he comes up the stairs and she gets up. And so I think that's like to him a thought like, oh, she was probably sitting there crying. He has no, we have no explanation, no There's idea no why. There's no context to that shot at all. And I think that's because that's his perspective of coming okay. up on someone who's just sitting there and like, oh, they're just sad for whatever reason. They're acting weird. I'm not going to ask anything. Um, I'm not going to find out. Um, I don't, it's it's not, it's, it's almost like a, I don't care. Um, but also I don't want to broach that subject because it's, it's not fun. Right. So do we want to move into final thoughts now? We, I think we've covered everything that we can on a first watch. Yeah, like I said, this there's a lot to unpack in this one, and it's definitely one that's worth going back and watching for sure. Um, I want to know how many um, how many uh, peppermint pigs do you give this one? Ooh, peppermint pigs. Um, it's probably like a nine point six. Wow, that's a big score for you. Yeah, I was like, I was struggling. Like, is it better than Midsummer? Yes. Do I like it more than Midsummer? Gosh, this, this I I identify with Rich and Danny so equally, right. and I love the way that this is shot more than Midsummer. But I don't love the aesthetic as much. Like if this had been like just from a personal like personal quibble, like if if anything could be perfect, um, I'm really fo- looking forward to Robert Eggers. Um, the Northman, because I really love like Scandinavian stuff like that, and that's also why I love Midsummer so much. Um, so it would have, to me, it would have, I would have wanted more philosophical or, um, yeah, just a little bit more like uh, philosophical uh, ideas or sci-fi elements. I just like big questions about life, um, but everything here is so well done. It's hard to find, fa- hard to really fault anything for it. These are just like what I would think would make a better movie from my own personal experience. But I can't find a flaw in any of this. Yeah, Stephen Karam is now up there on the list of like with Robert Eggers and Ari Aster. I'm like, what do you do next? Because like if you can pull off something that's intriguing that only exists in a tiny apartment, then like, I mean, especially from a guy who's like a playwriter. Yeah. Like that Like I'm fascinated to see like what's a that a different perspective, you know? Yeah, because there's only bring like, the film. So yeah, because there's only like. There's only three locations. It's the the apartment. It's the hallway. I guess there's four. There's also the machine room and then the roof. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. There's in the fact that I'm I'm, I'm it's compelling. You know, I find that to be like that's that's a really 
I, that's a big skill to have as a filmmaker. If you can make me want to watch something that like is virtually takes place in just a couple rooms, like that's that's a big deal to me, and I I think that's great. Uh, I would put this at a seven, mm. not because I don't think it's good. This really falls in the same vein as Green Knight, where it's like I just need to watch it again. Like this only goes up after here. I just know that like I, I'm gonna repeat exactly what I said in our Green Knight review. It's like I I just need to watch it more in order to put together all the pieces i missed or like i like we said like now that we now that we know what was going on with eric and uh deirdre uh that's going to add so much more to this movie on like a second viewing and a third viewing mm-hmm. so that's why like yeah I, I it's certainly not bad and a seven is not a mark against it it's just like i know this only gets better from here i think you rated the fly higher though so that's i can't help it i i can't help <laughs> it. i really like that movie I, I i don't have an excuse for that one <laughs> i just think it's really good uh, yeah, so with that, I think we're we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, yeah, go out and go out and watch this new Thanksgiving classic. Yeah, if you're looking for a heartwarming family um, holiday flick, go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you really want to understand, if you really just want to see uh, a family dynamic that is authentic, there are few movies that do things as well as this. Yeah, authentic is probably the word i was searching for this whole review that's exactly that's the best way to describe this it's funny that we say that and it has amy schumer i never thought i would say like i never thought i would have the kind of praise of like possible best movie of the year um starring amy schumer yeah that's wild to me mm-hmm. and beanie feldstein yeah they yeah the whole cast is great this is a great movie um yeah with that you can uh find us on apple podcasts and spotify pretty much any platform that you want to find a podcast on oh we also upload these all to youtube Go ahead and uh, comment in the comment section. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us what we did good. Or you can reach out to us at uh, nowthisispodcasting100 at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.